Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast, where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Adam, I, I've been thinking a lot about stuff recently. Wow, very reflective. What's going on? Very reflective. Well, you know, you're a parent, I'm a parent. Yes, that's true. I, I think we can both say that kids changed our lives, mm-hmm. and... I think they they made us reassess different things about ourselves and our priorities and how we thought things should run in the world because having a child really does change you. Sure. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. Mm. Uh, but there's a question that I had for you about uh, having children yeah. and how that has changed your uh, experience. Did you have to know, did you have to have kids to know that Raising children as child assassins was wrong and bad, and you shouldn't do genetic uh, manipulation on them for, let's call it eight years, eight <laughs> to ten years before deciding actually this is a horrific thing for me, a human person, to do. You know, it never crossed my mind that that was even morally uh, gray area. I think everybody yeah, you just knows. Never, <laughs> you never, you never thought that. Oh well, maybe we should do child assassins, <laughs> genetically malt, genetic monsters. Yeah, just terrible, terrible trash children that we do not uh, give any love and emotion and support to, and only make them mindless killing machines. Yeah, it's bad enough they're making dinosaurs out there, you know, like with frog DNA. Now we gotta have, uh, you know, assassin children. That's not cool, man. I disagree with this this entire effort. Well, it's good that you disagree, uh, because I do think morally. The X-Men comics are on your side. Yes, I think so. I hope so. Now, in execution, it's a whole different thing. (laughs) But I I like to think that they agree with you. And I like to think that this week, uh, as we talk about X-23, that these comics are going to resonate with that that mindset of maybe we shouldn't have child assassins. Depends on the story, though. You know? We'll find out. (laughs) The stories (laughs) have... Listen, there is a reason. So I'm, I'm actually curious. Before we get into the meat of the episode, I'm curious, Adam. Yes. When did you start to like Laura Kinney as a character? Um, I mean, I didn't follow Laura Kinney through, like, the Claremont era. So, like, I don't think I really... We need to be incredibly clear here. You're talking about, like, Claremont 2004, yes, 2005. like Revolution era. Yeah. I don't think I really, like, fell in love with the character until All New Wolverine. I think that's right. That's about when I started to actually like the character. Um, and I'm I'm more in the age demographic that should like the character. Like, I watched the X-Men Evolution episode where she first debuts mm-hmm. when it was... I don't want to say when it aired, but I watched it on a Saturday morning. Sure. So I feel like that's close enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in fairness, I was not reading uh, the Marjorie Lou stuff as it was coming out. And we'll talk about that later, but I enjoy the the character. I, I enjoy the the storytelling there. But to really, like, fall in love with the character, I think, uh, would be the all-new Wolverine run. It takes a bit, I think, 
for me to warm up to the character. I'm glad she's here now, but that is in spite of everyone's best efforts to try and make her insufferable. Especially in, in the uh, the early incarnations. This is just a wild storytelling choice to take a character... How long do you think it took her to get a good story? Like, just <laughs> baseline, a good story. Probably until the Marjorie Lou stuff, you know? I think, I think you could make an argument for the Kyle and Yost new X-Men had okay. some good Laura. Yeah. Yeah. Which was like their third shot at the book, and it still took them that long. Like, I think Mercury Falling might be the first good Laura story. Yeah. There's some Uncanny X-Force stuff, but... She was never on Uncanny X-Force specifically because Wolverine felt really bad for using her as an assassin in regular X-Force. That's what I mean. She was in in X-Force for a while. But anyway, why are we talking about X-23 this week, Zach? Because, Because our episodes are themed. Oh, no, 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 you wanted me to lead into the Patreon bit. Yes. yes. No. Uh, we're talking about we're talking about X-23 this week uh, because Patreon supporter G.J. Mez said, Folks, I got, I got this X-23 story that I want you guys to talk about. And we said, okay, uh, it's going to be the last <laughs> one we cover. Um, what's really funny, because we didn't plan this, mm-hmm. is that all of these are birthday themed. Yes. Which is a weird through line. In Laura, uh, but good for her, I guess. Sure, and it it also happens to coincide with our two hundred and fiftieth episode. So uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, we've been doing this for two hundred and fifty episodes, uh, and we'll we'll celebrate a little bit later with some listener Q and A. But we're I th- not doing. Oh, we told you last week we're not doing a lot of bits on this. No, one. I'm very tired. No bits. We uh, we're gonna we're gonna start with uh, not her first appearance, which was in NYX, which is. Terrible, oh, abominable. Uh, just, just uh, we normally introduce the list at the end, but just to be, just to make sure, if anyone hasn't read NYX, we have how many stories on this list? Six hundred and thirty-nine X-Men stories on this list, and NYX is six hundred and thirty-three. There's a reason. It's bad. It's a really bad comic, but it doesn't go into Laura's backstory in so much as it exists like it's just it doesn't have a huge backstory component to it uh and this this comic does this is x23 volume one it's a mini series collected as innocence lost uh it is written by craig kyle and christopher yost penciled by billy tan inked by john sybil uh colors by brian haberlin yeah uh so you were joking before about the moral quandary surrounding uh cloning a child assassin from uh, Weapon X, and boy, this uh, this group of geneticists really didn't stop to ask any questions, did they? In fact, Sarah Kinney here, <laughs> who is Sarah Kinney, is for all intents and purposes our lead character of this mini. Mm-hmm. She explicitly wants a job with no oversight, no government regulations, so she can do whatever mad genetic science she wants. In that does not make me want to root for this woman just right <laughs> from the start. It's like, listen, I don't think the government is always the best. I do have a very strong feeling that the government's stance of do not create child assassins, you weirdos, is a pretty firm one that I I would support. And if, if like, my congressman tried to repeal that, 
I would I would give them a strongly worded voicemail and say, <laughs> please do not create child soldiers. Um, well, it's it's even worse than that because it's not even that we're just messing around with uh, you know trying to clone Wolverine, but we're going to do so in a way that is going to involve this uh, being a baby. And not only are we going to have a baby, but we're going to torture that baby, and uh, we're going to leave it in a cell and turn it into this like uh trigger scent inspired killer uh it's pretty rough stuff and uh you know we didn't get any real impression of what kind of a science experiment laura kinney was in nyx and here we're learning pretty explicitly what her lab origins are and uh we're also getting some insight into martin sutter and uh xander who, uh, yeah, oh, Xander Rice. Xander Rice. The, uh, the, the antagonist from the feature film Logan. Oof. Xander Rice sucks. Like Xander Rice is bad. His 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 dad, Ron, or not Ron, excuse me, his dad, Dale Rice, Dale. was killed uh, when Wolverine escaped Weapon X. And Xander uh, held that grudge for a while. Xander, your dad sucked. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you. I'm not saying that Wolverine should have done 50% of the murders he's done in his life. He's killed a lot of people. Your dad was one of the bad ones, though. <laughs> well, if your dad is a, a spy trying to infiltrate the Weapon X project, he should probably know what he's getting into, right? It also begs the question as to how xander really even knows what happened like i know that martin sutter is his friend was the friend of dale rice but it's like how okay this is so weird um but these two have like decided to commit their lives to this quest of developing a copy of the thing that killed his father it's kind of weird right it's weird uh and it's 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 played straight like he's just so messed up from his dad dying uh, that he's going to make this being that's a copy of his dad's killer to sell. Um, it's it's a weird plan, but it's a generic super soldier plan. Like, we've seen this in comics a lot. Mm-hmm. This is not out there. What is out there is Sarah Kinney comes to the program it's like hey um your dna samples for wolverine are really bad which is weird because it's not like wolverine does a good job hiding his dna right (laughs) uh he leaves that stuff everywhere that's right big chunks of wolverine just laying all over the place long story short they're like well actually what we could we could do a female clone of wolverine but it'll be a baby so we are going to have to since it's a clone, we are going to have to, like, implant the embryo into somebody's womb and have it grow and have it just be a baby. And they don't like this plan, but they do it. They do forcibly... They forcibly, they do coerce Sarah Kinney into carrying this pregnancy, which is weird and gross. Mm-hmm. And then it's also weird and gross that when X-23 comes out, they don't give her a name and they emotionally all of them emotionally abuse her at every opportunity and not physically. even counting the physically there's there's a lot of physical abuse too yeah it's really hard to read in some places because it's just we are beating up this kid 
in making her feel terrible. Laura doesn't... The first issue she's really in, the second issue, Laura doesn't say anything but yes or no. Mm -hmm. And that's most of her dialogue for this entire series. So it's, it's hard to... Like, you feel bad because this is a terrible thing to happen to somebody. But it's hard to build up what's her character in this. And I do not think this mini does an effective job telling you who Laura is. Well, and, you know, the way that she's written is she's just a blank slate, you know, and could be developed into just about anything. Uh, It is a hard read, I think, mainly because the villains are just relentless in their abuse of of this uh, child character and you know it gets to this point where you're just like what what is the point of this character you know like why are we inventing this young female character to be the subject of all of this torture all of this abuse to then go on to the the life of a child sex uh worker in nyx you know only so that she can become the superhero she will one day become you know it it's troubling let's say that you know like it it's a hard uh switch to go from hey here's this like you know uh burly guy from canada who we abducted and coated his uh bones in adamantium to here's a kid who we got because we forcibly impregnated one of our own scientists like that's a that's a pretty big gap between those two kinds of stories it really it really is it's it's just hard to read like no one is likable in this. Sarah is supposed to be your protagonist. She is the one who has done these things and then realizes, oh, actually, I can be a mother. This is my child. Here's the thing, Sarah. Sarah, here's the thing. Reading a child Pinocchio once <laughs> does not a mother make. No, no. And here's what here's what happens, because... This is this is a Weapon X story. She's got to escape. Like we we know the bits. Mm-hmm. What Sarah does is uses Laura to get revenge on people and say, "Yeah, I'm I'm going to use you as a weapon one last time." That's right. And it sucks. Yeah. And 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 you get and this this comic leans into it very heavily. It's like, actually, I was your mother who loved you through all of this. And Sarah Kinney now gets treated as a saint mm-hmm. in comics. Gets treated as, this was Laura's mother. She was a good person in a bad situation. She's evil. Yeah. yeah. She's slightly less evil than the worst people ever. She's <laughs> still not a good person. And it's hard to root for her. Because all I'm thinking this whole time is... Why are we doing this to Laura? This is very mean and bad, guys. Don't do it. Right. Uh, you know, there is a subplot that involves, for whatever reason, Sanders sleeping with Martin's wife. Um, the results, That's weird. Which results in uh, Martin's wife having a child and wanting to tell her husband that it's Sanders' baby. And it's like, again, more physical abuse against this uh, wife. It's like... Why are we telling this story the way it is? You know, now what what the Kyle and Yost are good at, uh, you know, over the years is sweeping action. And when there is action and we get to see Laura out in the field doing what it is that she does, 
it's it's well done but all of the rest of it being this like traumatic experience for six issues where everybody is using this child against everybody else xander uses her to kill martin uh as you said sarah is eventually going to send her out loose to like kill everybody weapon x style in in the uh, facility Uh, there's no happy endings here this is just rough it is rough so i want to be very careful how i say this the comics code authority which marvel abandoned in 2001 was not a good thing no the reaction that a generation of writers had to being able to cuss and do bad things in a comic and do a dark comic was a gross overcorrection and this is but one of the many many sins that came from that like again cca was not good cca would have avoided this so it's it it feels like a reaction to being able to have less limits and this is this is definitely one of the negatives of it also a negative and at least this is my opinion but i want to hear your thoughts adam Billy Tan's art is bad in this, right? Like, his, he does not know how to draw a child, which is a really bad thing for an X-23 book. Um, I'm divided on it because in, a, in some ways, the way that Tan approaches, for instance, faces and facial expressions are, are you're exactly right. He has trick, uh, tricky time with ages. So, for instance, Martin's wife, Martin is supposed to be significantly older than Xander. Martin does not look older than Xander, yet he's supposed to be his father's age, right? Martin's Mm -hmm. wife is supposed to be, I guess, similar age to Martin. Doesn't. Looks exactly the same age as Xander. She looks like a teenager. Exactly. She is a child. Right. Laura, um, it depends on when he's drawing her. You know, like, seems to have a, a sensibility of this. But I think the other thing that's really weird about this book is that it's six issues... But given how old uh, Laura gets over the course of six issues, the sliding time scale on this has got to be huge, right? Like this character not only goes through the, you know, we got Sarah going through her entire, uh, you know, uh, pregnancy, but then you have this character who comes out the other side of it as what? Like a 12 year old? I, I don't this is th- that is simply something you cannot worry about at right it, i know it but doesn't, it doesn't make sense because it's like 20 years after weapon x plus enough time for laura to grow at a regular age as a human baby yeah so 30 some years after no it doesn't make any sense and it's fine yeah it's it's a weird story. I don't like it. I'm also not hot on billy tan in general just not an artist i care for yeah um you know you can see some of the influences on on tan's work uh i I don't think it's terrible by any means but i can see that you know it's it's certainly not gonna be to everybody's taste and uh i don't know this for sure but i'm gonna guess he came from top cow he definitely has that top cow influence right he looks like a top cow guy yeah absolutely 100 percent. i i don't know that for sure but um you know. Oh yes, he. I, I'm seeing. I am seeing the Billy Tan Tomb Raider comics. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yep, 100. percent Oh my. Um. What else yep. did he do? Witchblade or like? Uh, 
uh, Spirit of Tao, The Darkness. Oh, Darkness. Yeah, I could see him doing that. You know, like, it's a certain very stylized thing. Is it, is it, this story is already kind of inherently flawed? So, I don't know. It's tough to talk about this because it's already so ingrained into what the character's origin is now that we've had so much time to pass. But it sucks. But... No one likes, no one likes her origin. No. Who's sitting here saying any, any X-23 comic before, like, 2010 is a miracle that it's decent. Well, we are going to see some others. Um, but this one, I wasn't a huge fan of. So why don't we try ranking this on our big old list? Like we said, we have 639 stories on our big old list right now. They're ranked from best to worst. House of X Powers of 10 is the best X-Men story that has ever existed. And quite possibly will ever exist. But I have hope, people. I have faith. <laughs> That a better story could come along at some point. Number 100 is Uncanny 314. That's early Frost. Number 200 is New X-Men 33 to 36 Mercury Falling. The first good X-23 story based on my estimates here. Uh, number number 300 on this list is X-Force minus one. Uh, number 400 on our list is X-Men Volume 4 1 through 3 Primer. Uh Number 500 on our list is Exiles 100. Number 600 on the list is X-Men Legends 2 Rise of Apocalypse, the intro comic that <laughs> uh, explains so much of the game that is not in the actual game. Uh, but it's critical to understanding the game. Uh, and then three or 639 is the Draco. I think, we're, gonna, I think we're in the 500s here. What do you think? I mean, I think... At number 400 is Primer, and Primer's better than this. Yeah, and down at 507 is IVX, and I think IVX is better than this. Wildcats X-Men's better than this. Yep, I would agree. 511. Um, uh, spotlight on the Star Jammers is better than this. Yeah, uh, Wisdom just... Max is better than this. Wisdom Max is not a comic I like. I understand the impetus behind Wisdom Max. Yeah, yeah, I can get behind that. Uh, this is better than NYX, though, so... It is, and I think it's better than Wolverine Origins 37 to 40, which was the Romulus arc. How do you think about it versus Emma Frost 1 to 6, Higher Learning? Weirdly comparable. Yeah, I think this is probably a little better than that. See, I was going to say that the Emma Frost one was better. Okay, that. all right. So, so we're in. So we're in this little. We're at the right spot. We're at the right spot, though. Is the thing. Yeah, I think. I, all right. We also have this X Man arc, uh, sixty-seven to oh, seventy, the, the Infinities of Evil, which is definitely trying to do something more interesting than this. Yes. Even uh, Infinities of Evil is also very bad. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah. I would. If I was doing this solo, I would say above the two issues where Beast joins the Avengers at 555, but below Infinities of Evil. I think that's a great spot for it. So that's going to make this our new 555. Sorry, Laura. It's a bad showing for <laughs> X-23. And just to be clear, so someone doesn't get into our mentions. Yeah, we know. We, we started the show saying we like when she's Wolverine. I like how she's Wolverine now. It's really good and fun. But she's X-23 in all of these stories. And yeah. It's just so much easier, folks. Well, let's... She's not a real person. I She can't... Her feelings <laughs> aren't going to be hurt by me calling her X-23 in these stories where X-23 is on the on the cover. Yeah. I know. I, I've read the comics also. 
Well, let's Adam has. Let's talk about a uh, a better X twenty three story in my estimation. Oh, I I think we're on the same boat. <laughs> this is volume two, or is it technically volume three? Oh no, there is a one shot that Marjorie Lou did mm-hmm. uh, between X twenty three Target X and uh, the launch of this this run. That uh, came out. It was a one shot that came out actually just earlier that year. So there were just two X twenty three number ones that came out in two thousand and ten. A feat that would not be repeated until the wonderful Squirrel Girl and uh, Howard the, <laughs> Howard Duck, the Duck relaunches <laughs> of Secret Wars. Amazing times. Um, now we were just talking about the, all the trauma that this character went through, and one of the things that I think that Lou does pretty well. Um, as part of the ongoing here is having this character who is now aged up a little bit starting to uh, really deal or not deal in some cases with the effects of that trauma and the PTSD that she is experiencing. And I think this works uh, pretty well, not because she's doing it on her own, but because she has this really strong bond uh, that she has formed with none other than Gambit. Um, and I think we've talked about this before with a, a shorter talked about arc. This. Yeah, um, there, was, there was an arc. I don't know. We probably talked about this three or four years ago. <laughs> but it's it's Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda, mm-hmm. uh, who are currently and have for years been doing the image series Monstrous together. Yeah, great, uh, cool stuff there. And they, Liu is taking an interesting approach here because I I I think when there's these long stories with a lot of canon to them. There's two approaches you can really take. One of them is if there was a bad story, you just don't talk about it. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a... Listen, we spent years just not acknowledging the existence of Azazel. That's true. And we could have... Jason Jason Aaron ruined that for us. Uh, We spent so long just being like, no, that didn't happen. It's fine. (laughs) No one's mentioned it since. It's okay, guys. We can keep Uh, that up. The other, and I think this is honestly the trickier and more dangerous approach, is to directly do a story about a terrible story. Mm-hmm. There are there are just as many examples of this being like a very well done approach and like using that canon to strengthen the emotional storytelling as there is of the story being just insufferably boring and only parsable if you've read 800 other comics. Mm -hmm. It's a high risk, high reward one. I think Lou does a very good job here. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting is that you have a character here who is clearly suffering from uh, depression and um, is, is going through some real regret about the violence that her body has been used to and and it's literally like a third party has used her inception to to do this terrible things um and not just the creators of her you know we are also coming to terms in this arc with some of the violence that wolverine uh made her do so we're yeah with the with the x-force stuff which i had forgotten gets discussed here yeah and frankly it doesn't like it it makes Wolverine's actions and having her on the X-Force team make sense. Yeah. Like, Wolverine didn't want that in the story, but this is, you know, whether it's him justifying it to himself or whatever, 
Like, this is a, directly addressing, hey, Wolverine, you did use her on your uh, assassin team that you kept secret from everybody. Right. So we're seeing Laura not only self-harm, but we're also seeing her sort of question her actual existence. And I think what's clever in this arc is that uh, Gambit thinks that by bringing Wolverine and then Vampire Jubilee to come hang out with them in Paris, that this might make Lara feel a little bit better. Unfortunately, Gambit is also aware that the dynamic that Wolverine has with Jubilee and their relationship is at odds with the relationship that Wolverine has with X-23. I think this is really well written in the way that these young ladies who have been mentored by this other character, or in in some cases, she's, you know, in Lara's case, she's a clone of this individual. Um, it's fascinating to see Marjorie play with those uh, character interactions. It's well known that Wolverine ha- takes in stray girls like their cats off the street. It's like, true. We know he does this. It's it's one of his most admirable traits. What we never really get is having those characters interact. Like, you don't get that Bat Family kind of dynamic of all the Robins, like, having their own, their own tit-a-tat with each other in their own relationships. It's Kitty's over here, and Jubilee's over here, and... Marrow is in a sewer somewhere, and Armor's <laughs> over here, and Laura's over here, and you never get them talking, and... It's true. This is this is interesting on that. Also, erotically charged uh, with the <laughs> Jubilee and Laura interactions uh, when Laura lets Jubilee lick her neck... There's no, there's no non-horny way to do that, especially with Sana Takeda art, which is just incredibly lush and sapphic to begin with. It, you know, uh, Sana is using anime uh, reference. You know, that's that's kind of the influence on the art, and the the text of that scene is that Laura is essentially challenging Jubilee to kill her, right? Um, she's gotten to this point, and so she's seeing if she can use this other character as a weapon for her own demise. Um, there's a lot of layers to what's going on here, and I think that's what makes it really interesting. You know, is because it's an emotionally charged scene. It is, and um, you know, it, it's also not sort of wrapped up in a nice tidy bow. It's you know, this is a character who is still going to be going through a healing process. And, you know, everybody acknowledges it. And now we're sort of at least deciding on how to best be a support system for this character. Well, I think that's what's that's what's interesting here. Because there are lesser writers who would say, take Laura's trauma, do one arc about it. And then walk away and say, and now she's good. Mm-hmm. And Lou doesn't do that. She says, this is always going to be part of you. You can't, like, exercise this from yourself. What you can do is find a way to live with it. Because your options are to live with it or to die. Right. And that's that's a very... You know, we, I talked about the Comics Code Authority and, you know, mature stories that you couldn't do under that. This is the other side of that is this is using 
violence and using sex and using blood and using all of this to tell a real emotional story. And I think it works incredibly well because it is it is so character driven, like it's centered on Laura, but you also have three other characters that are both interacting with Laura and with each other that you get you understand their relationships just like that. Yes. Like everyone has has a vibe and it grows through these three issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Now to say, you know, there's a lot of um, sort of emotional stuff. There is also an action plot that happens and really culminates in the final issue as the four main characters are um, trying to fight against this airborne virus that turns people into what they're kind of like vampire zombies. It's a trigger scent virus. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, they're all going to kind of like bash each other's faces in if these four can stop comment. it. Yeah. So there, there is but an action element to it. What, I, what I'd say is what Lou does is makes sure that the plot is directly tied to the emotional consequences of the story. Like this is about control and bloodlust and coming to terms with your past and Laura's very specific trauma. Like these are all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, to the point where, you know, the, the last person that she sees sort of recovering from this trigger scent is a small baby, you know, and uh, Lou is clearly making that connection between between the two. Um, so I really enjoyed this. I think it's a fantastic display of how you can take a story that maybe another writer Maybe, I don't want to say that the, the story we were just talking about is, like, mean-spirited, but there's a element of that in the way in which it's uh, traumatizing its character. And this is saying, no, like, this is what would actually have happened to this individual had she gone through this, and this is how she can move, start to move on. Which I, I think is mm-hmm. really difficult to do, like you said. So... We have we have one other story from the Lou X twenty three series at three ninety two, which is Songs of the Orphan Child, mm-hmm. which loses a lot of points because it's a Ms. Sinister plot, and it's that's tough. Yeah, I think this is a much stronger synthesis. Oh, I agree of everything. Yeah, and that's all like, the way down at three ninety two. Like I I like this better than Mercury falling at two hundred. I agree. Uh, I think I think we're up there. This is this is pretty well done. Um, this is better than Cross Time Capers at 193 from X-Men Blue. 178 is Enemy of the State 2. You know, I think the character work here is stronger than that. That's what I am saying! Yeah. Here's the thing. that That is very much a story where Laura confronts her trauma and is over it now. Yes. And I, I understand we had to take certain elements finally off the table, mm-hmm. but it is... Tom. Tom Taylor writes very optimistic comics, very idealized comics, and I think I want a little bit deeper uh, story than that. Yeah, I would agree. I, okay, there's some ones that I just like better up here in the 160s, like Cable, Blood, and Metal, and uh, the uh, Red Skull takedown arc of Uncanny Avengers. Um, What are your thoughts? I would... What I would say actually is right between those two. Okay, is where I'm looking because I think I think Blood and Metal is better. Yeah. Above that, we've got uh, like the Wolverine wanted dead or alive, the backdoor pilot for Alpha Flight. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's really good. AVX Consequences, Wolverine Snicked, Attack on Weapon Plus, or Assault on Weapon Plus. I think those are those are probably stronger. But right below this, we've got like the Jean Grey Psych Wars, Extermination, Battle of the Atom. Like we we got we have some stuff that this is definitely stronger than. So I'd say between that Uncanny Avengers arc and Blood and Metal. Great. So that's going to make this our new one sixty nine. Yes, it is. Nice. It absolutely positively is it's very nice adam yeah now we get to the one that was actually requested for this mm-hmm. and i know this is one that you have some thoughts about and i'm excited to see because i think we're gonna have i think we're gonna have an interesting conversation here this is x23 volume four one through five two birthdays and three funerals uh it is written by marco tamaki with pencils uh or with art by juan cabal uh, Marcio Fioriti Arito does some work at the end mm-hmm. of the last issue of it, but Cabal's Cabal's the main artist on here. Nolan Woodard uh, is the colorist. Yeah, I think uh, we should probably just start by talking about the context of leading up to this. Um, we had just finished the beloved run of All New Wolverine. I think a lot of people really liked that. Connected with that character, that was a pretty solid run for a lot of people. And then Marvel announced that instead of All-New Wolverine continuing with the further adventures of Wolverine, that she was going to be called X-23 again, which I think we've talked about this on the show before. If we haven't, we'll talk about it now. Seems antithetical to what Tom Taylor was doing with All-New Wolverine in her finally shedding that name i mean by the time we get to the end of all new wolverine she is laura kinney she is wolverine she is not this lab number anymore and she has shed that and put it behind her and yet in this series she's being marketed back as this uh, version of the character despite which you know she's not wearing the wolverine costume anymore she's got gabby by her side but we're sort of backtracking with this character, at least the way in which it's being promoted. And, and to provide some additional context to that for people who weren't reading comics in 2017, 2018-ish, Laura was never the Wolverine, is the thing. Mm-hmm. She got she got the title, but she wasn't even the primary Wolverine book. No. Like, Old Man Logan was the book. Old Man Logan was the guy on the flagship teams. Wolverine was on the secondary squads. Right. Like, that's that's the truth of it. Sabretooth got a lot of play and things and events and crossovers and things like that. Laura was always playing second fiddle. So this felt like when they were, they're bringing Logan back, this felt like them saying, and now Laura definitely doesn't count because we got all these dude Wolverines that we got we to gotta push there. And that was unfortunate uh, and very frustrating at the time. It also didn't help that, uh, especially once they redesigned the costume out of the yellow into that slick gray with the jacket. Uh, Wolverine look, it was fantastic, and it was weird that they wanted to change that. But I do also understand from a marketing standpoint, Wolverine is the guy that Hugh Jackman played and the guy that was in the 92 animated series and in the arcade games. Like, I understand that impulse but if dc can have a billion green lanterns we can have like two wolverines i think (laughs) exactly um i think it's pretty cynical in the way in which 
<laughs> these decisions might have been made. There is well, it's go ahead. Go on. Go on. I was just gonna say there's a very like superficial explanation at some point in these issues that sort of like tries to explain why she is using that as her name. It's not a really good explanation, and it's it's just sort of tossed in there. Um, well, it, I think it's very I think it's very funny in retrospect that. It, just about a year later, a year and some change later, there is that scene in X-Men number four by Hickman mm-hmm. where she puts on the suit to go into the vault and she's like, yeah, I'm Wolverine. And Wolverine's like, yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. So- it's good, actually, and it makes this whole thing seem silly. And now she is the Wolverine on the team X-Men. Like, she is getting the play. Yes. Uh, that she should have gotten back in the day. Uh, so it's good to see now, and with that in mind, like I think you and I both, because we were we were friends at the time, we were doing the podcast at the time. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we were doing the podcast. Two hundred fifty episodes, Zach. Two hundred fifty episodes, buddy. Happy <laughs> birthday! I don't know how podcast birthdays work. <laughs> anyway, I know you and I were both like going into this series with a chip on our shoulder. Sure. We were mad about it. We were like, "Oh come on, we we see through this." All right. And I, I know that I did not give Mariko Tamaki a fair shake going into this story. Yeah. So I'm curious I'm curious how you responded to it coming back to it, because I responded a heck of a lot more favorably when I was rereading this. I did too. Um I had skipped this completely. I, I think I let the the chip on my shoulder as you describe it just lead me to want to pass this by, which is unfortunate. Um, I don't think this this uh, arc or this book in general gets everything right, but it does have some really cool things. So first off the bat, uh, Juan Cabal is Cabal. a freaking monster artist. Like you, this you, artwork. Did, did you read? Did you read Juan Cabal's Guardians of the Galaxy with Al Ewing? Uh, no, no, I did not. Hey Adam, I should you should do that. You should go read. You should go read <laughs> Juan Cabal in Al Ewing's Guardians of the Galaxy at least. At least read the issue where Star Lord uh, travels the uh, the horoscopes Ooh. and all of the all of the known universe, and also ends up in a polytriad uh, for just a lot of time. Oh my god! It's a it's a wild good story. <laughs> uh, there is sort of a I don't know if you can see this uh, if if you're seeing it when you look at his art, but there is just the tiniest little dash of Frank Quitely. To the way that he draws things. Because his his lines are so tight. Yes. And there is a direct callback to some Quietly stuff. Because this is, um, despite being uh, Alara and Gabby Ark, it is largely about the Cuckoos. And I want to get into that. But before I do, I just want to say that one of the things that this arc nails, which I think is is really important, is it still gets Lara and Gabby. It gets their relationships, and Gabby is written really, really well here, and I like. This it. is my second favorite Gabby. The only Gabby that beats it is uh, Vida Ayala's Gabby. Yeah, there, there's, there's good stuff happening here. Right. It's fantastic. Like it's, Gabby has a tendency, and Taylor did this. Taylor did this too, of getting too like squee, too like, oh look, I'm the, I'm the cute, funny little girl. Uh, 
and that's annoying where this they feel like characters and Laura feels like a big sister like it gets that right level of I love this child and would do anything for her also I'm an adult woman and this is a child yes like it it this is lived experience right here yeah absolutely so that's something that's really working what is I think really weird to go back in this arc is the way in which this story revolves around the cuckoos trying to clone and resurrect their two dead sisters. Um, one of which I believe is it Sophie, which is the one that Sophie is the Sophie's good. Esme's bad. Esme's bad. Mindy, Phoebe, and Celeste are in between. Right. So uh, Esme eventually trying to take over Gabby's body uh, and like wreak havoc everywhere. Now, what's wild about this is just how, like you said, just a short time in the future. We're going to see those five cuckoos and they're not going to really bear an exact resemblance to the characters that are here. This also very clearly ignores the character development that Bendis had with the three cuckoos sort of becoming more individuals. So, okay. So, so I agree with that criticism and you you know, I'm a fan of the Brian Michael Bendis X-Men. I gotta, I gotta, we have a podcast called battle of the atom. That is true. We, we, it's a good name. Also, we like that stuff. It was also the stuff that was coming out when me and Adam became friends. That's true. <laughs> hey, if you want to know the whole origin story, there you go. Uh, but I think each of the cuckoos have had their moment of trying to break out mm-hmm. from the group. Each of them have gone after a boy and tried to figure something out or tried to stake it out on their own. And they always revert back like it's it's like a magnetic pull that they can't get too far away and they always always pull back i also think this is this is partly the influence of esme yes who is pushing them to be weird weird creepy ladies (laughs) which is great that's that is the ideal cuckoos because even if i showed you a picture of one of the cuckoos from the bendis era even with their different haircuts, could you tell me which one was which? No, I mean maybe at the time I could, but like not now. No, because they haven't exactly. stuck with it. Well, and that's that's the thing. Like they had they had some individuality, but they are they are roughly the same gestalt of character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's I think that's a very interesting type of character that you only really get in comics. So I'm fine with them moving back to that, but I I can appreciate the frustration of the things that were lost. Yeah, it's it's I think taken on its own, and especially if you're a Morrison fan, this is kind of a cool arc, right? Because you're cool di- you're you have uh, Laura and Laura and Gabby, both clones, fighting against another team of clones who are trying to deal with their identity issues. And and they're all having clone problems. Yes. Like, they are having the kind of problems <laughs> that you only get as clones. Right. And having to, you know, kind of just deal with what their current uh, status is. Um, one of the other things I really love, that, and I don't know if this is from a writing angle or if this is Cabal doing this, there are so many, like, cute little funny um in joke things in the art like there is a um a fitbit at one point that is labeled fit fat foom there is a restaurant like a diner that they pass that's in the uh, marvel font but instead of it saying marvel fanfare it says marvel falafel um i just 
like there's there's X cow is in the background of one of these scenes. Like there's all of these yeah, Evelyn, little Evelyn the X cow a character who Easter absolutely eggs. is on Kirkoan. No one can argue with me. <laughs> all these little Easter eggs that I think are t- fantastic. I I love Cabal's art. It's so detailed, so stylized, and his action dynamic. Yeah, some of the most dynamic stuff that's happening in comics. Like he's he's currently doing Black Panther right now with John Ridley. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a book where the action sings. It works really well when he gets going. And I feel like Cabal of like he doesn't get the praise of a Pepe Larraz or even like an RB Silver, some of the some of the bigger names at Marvel today. Like he doesn't get he doesn't get the same pop that like Ryan Stegman would get. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I think Cabal Cabal is one of the best artists in the business. And there's going to be something that blows up and like sends him into the stratosphere and i don't know what it is but something is going to get him there mark my words because he is too good of a talent to not either that or someone's going to get him for a high profile like creator owned thing yeah. and say you can you can actually own this and it's going to be massive it's going to hit uh, it's going to hit it's got to at some point i mean just his anatomy alone i mean this guy knows what he is doing so um i definitely think if you were like me and you skip this based on its title and its premise definitely revisit it i think the art is good and i think if you can look at it just from within it's like treat it just from it like try and separate it from the eras that precede and follow it and i think you might enjoy it you know there's some really fun stuff here it, it's good i love the laura because this is a laura that is she is she is what the modern Laura should be. Mm-hmm. Like she is, she's not a mindless killing machine, but she's still a reserved person. She's still an introvert. She is still kind of sorting herself out and doesn't have all the confidence that she needs. But she's doing her best, and I love to see it. I love the honey badger. Mm-hmm. I love I love Cabal's cuckoo's design, yes. which has been like slightly tweaked for the new era. Mm-hmm. and it's so good yeah the like, capes are great they are really good this book is fun it's funny mm-hmm. and it's got a good emotional core to it so give this series another shot uh if if you're like us who didn't uh didn't like it or didn't stick with it at the time this is this is worth revisiting it it got Marco tamaki got dealt a bad hand and listen she doesn't need the help she's doing fine <laughs> on her own but I, I i honestly feel like tamaki because tamaki had a moment at marvel she did and i don't think that she got a fair shake because she had like that hulk she hulk book that was starting from a point of this is a bad status quo for she hulk yeah yeah she got the x23 books that were this is starting from a bad status quo for or and then and then eventually and she moved off pretty quickly yeah. from that all right. So, so check it out. Uh, better or worse than the Lou that we just talked about at 169. I think it's like right there. Yeah. We're not that I, far off. Um, I I think I think this is better than Extermination, which you just highlighted at 175, okay. which is a very similar era. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I think we're right around uh, at 173. We have Gene Gray, Psych Wars, and we're in similar territory there. Psych War. Here's the problem with Psych Wars. It doesn't actually have a good ending at no, all. No, it doesn't. It has an ending. It has an ending where Dennis Hopeless was like, 
crap. <laughs> the book has to end, and it has to tie into what everyone has admitted was a last-minute curveball on what the story Phoenix Resurrection was going to be. I liked this better than at 171. We have uh, Amazing X-Men 1-5, to The Quest for Nightcrawler, but I didn't like it as much as the Uncanny Avengers Red Skull takedown arc at 170. Then let's just put it there. All right, so this is going to be our new 171 X-23 Volume 4 Numbers one through five, and uh, do you want to thank the the patron now? I do want to thank uh, GJ Mez. Yeah, because uh, that was fun. That was fun. Uh, we haven't we haven't talked a lot about Laura uh, on this podcast as much as we likely should in two hundred fifty episodes. Uh, but I had a great time. Uh, it was fun revisiting these. Absolutely. Uh, if you want to be if you want to be like GJ Mez, you can go on over to patreon.com slash comics. Except toss a couple of coins into our coffers and help keep this show going. Help keep the site comics XF running and we'll do an episode for you. Man, it's easy. We got, here's the thing. I was, I was, I was doing some math the other day, just saying, Hey Adam, <laughs> if we were, if we were to just quit, Oh no. Like if we, if we decided, Hey, we need to sunset the podcast. It's been 250 great episodes. Yeah. But I did the I did the math. We'd likely be we'd likely have a path to three hundred being our last episode. Wow! Just based on where we're at we got, right now, what we got right now. Some of some of them people just didn't haven't responded to some requests, so they could get skipped over and all that stuff. But by and large, by and large, we got we got a few to get through still. Yeah, love it. Uh, speaking of getting through them still, we did invite some listener questions, this being our 250th episode. So, uh, Zach and I are going to trade back and forth. Uh, I've read some of these, Zach. I don't know if you have. So I didn't, I was having a very long day. (laughs) So do you want me to ask you one first? Do you want to ask me one first? Yeah, you, you go first, Adam. Okay. Uh, speaking of quitting, which we're not doing. Christian S. asks, if you quit, one of us individually, which famous or infamous A or Z would you like to replace the other person? So you need so, to choose a new A and I need to choose a new Z. It can be anyone. Who is it going to be? I would replace you with Art Adams. Ooh, good choice. Good choice. All right. I think I think that would be a fun one to replace <laughs> you with. Having met Art, I think you might have some good conversations. Uh, Z. I think we would fight. I'm going to go with Zach Thompson, uh, friend of the show. Oh, friend of the show, Zach Thompson? Yeah, we could just talk about, you know, like, body horror and uh, and vines and stuff. That'd be fun. We could. <laughs> hey, Zach Zach has a new book uh, coming out. Yeah, it's a, it's a new book coming out from Aftershock uh, by Thompson and Eon uh, Morrow. It comes out in July. It is a friggin weird canada cult history horror book based on a a cult that was in canada i got a chance to read the first uh issue of this if you like if if you like that particular weird brand of stuff you're gonna dig it sounds awesome all right who's Um, next um i've got i've got a question for you adam and that question is would the sand monologue from star wars fit perfectly into a chuck austin x-men issue (laughs) The I hate sand monologue. Um, yeah, why not? I mean, it, that seems like it's on, uh, at least at the time, Chuck Austin's writing level. So uh, I can't think of exactly where it would go. You know, maybe it'd be Nurse Annie going on about some sort of anti-mutant rhetoric. 
but sure, why the heck not? It feels Austin-esque. <laughs> it sure does. Okay, uh, here's one from Kyle R. Still. You are both ex-collectors. Well, I think we've established that, right? Um, we may not collect the same things, but we, we have ex I'm less of a collector than you. That is... That is I, I am more or less divesting my physical media yeah. as much as I can with with weird exceptions of everything X-Men. All right. Uh, so but, the question is, what X-related bucket list item do you still hope to one day find? Is there something you absolutely want to add to your collection? I truly do. Like, I am not a... I don't need to have old comics or anything like that. I would love a giant size number oh, one. Oh, that'd be cool. Like, that's that's the one that's the one that would get me like i've i've told my wife she has fiat approval if she sees one to purchase it for me (laughs) because she she is a thriftier person than me and goes to places where she could stumble upon one uh but that that would likely be like the x-related thing uh that i would want probably that Ooh. Hmm. or the Wolverine telephone that they made. But I'd have to find it in a while. I don't want to go on eBay and just get like, what? I, I could I could go and buy the Wolverine telephone. I don't want that. I want to be at a store and see the Wolverine telephone. <laughs> and take it home with you. Uh, I would, I mean, obviously, like the big ticket I can stuff. buy it for $10 right now, but that that's not It doesn't feel the same, does it? It's not the same. No. no, I want this vintage 1994 telephone, but I want to find it when we're at a farmer's market. Yeah, I think that's part of the joy here. Like, um, I I have on my want list on a certain comics website um, the X-Men 11 Pressman Edition, which is just X-Men 11, but you had to buy the X-Men board game from Pressman uh, and mail away for this copy of it that has a silver background. It's very dumb. I could buy one for, you know, X amount of dollars online, but I would love to just find one in a long box, you know, like Mm -hmm. that would be kind of the fun of it. Trying to think of any other like, yeah, I mean, obviously like the, the, the really, you know what I would love to have? Um, What would you love to have? A Foom 10, uh, which is. What, what is in Foom 10? Foom 10 uh, is the first, I believe, technical print appearance of the all new team because uh, it was printed and distributed before giant size and it's just yeah. a little pamphlet but they go for thousands of dollars um yeah this is this is twelve twelve hundred dollars right here that's <laughs> i don't know that would that would be that, cool yeah that would be that's the i just like weird stuff for the most part me too like i would settle for i i i've been trying to track down i have the the regular pizza hut x-men comics but there were the mini ones that came with the VHS tapes. I also just found out that there were um, there was a robot cassette player from like the 90s that had two uh, cassette dramas of X-Men. And like those seem like something I want to track down. Like I, that's the weird stuff that I would want. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's got to be weird because that's the thing. Like I can read pretty much anything I want, uh, but I want to find something like wild that i've never heard of that's what gets me yeah absolutely all right your turn oh that's a good question if you were to this comes from friend of the show austin gordon if you were to do another podcast ranking not the comics but the podcast episodes ranking the comics battle of battle of the atom 
What would your top three episodes be from the first 250 episodes of Battle of the Atom? That is really tough. Because uh, I, I know you probably share this opinion, but like once we do an episode and it's out in the world, I kind of forget about it. Just like, outside just, out of mind. Right? Like I remember the stories. I remember our conversations about them. Um, but I don't know, Austin. I don't know if I can actually rank any of them, you know? What what do you what do you think of when you think of doing this podcast? Like are there are are there things that are that stand out from us doing them? I love that I think the best episodes that we do are the ones where we have the most to talk about and um I think we've had some episodes recently like our storm episode where we get a chance to really like just joyfully praise a book um and then occasionally we get those episodes where we just get to trash a book. And I think those, those are the fun. ones that are just like the most fun. I, I, you know, the storm one comes to mind. How about you? Do you have favorites? So I'm not counting our interview specials because I have a lot of fun with those. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, those are great. Uh, those are those are all good. Uh, I like when we. I do like when we have guests on because it adds a fun, interesting dynamic to things that we don't get week in and week out. I love doing the show with you, buddy. Uh, but there is a there is a unique difference uh, with it. Here's what comes to mind as an episode, and I think it's just because it's a it's now a very specific time capsule about where a lot of us were. And that's the episode we did about Omega Red, where I drank very bad Smirnoff vodka the entire <laughs> time because it was early, early, early pandemic, and frankly, we were all spiraling. Oh my god, I remember that. That was funny. Uh, all right, here's one. We had some times, buddy. Yeah, here's one. I grew a mustache. Uh, <laughs> you did grow a mustache. What was up with that? You were like live DJing on Facebook for a while, dude. We we had some weird. We were all very. We were all online. going through a lot. Uh, all right, uh, Asimov fangirl uh, congratulates us on 250 episodes. The question is, if you were mutants and decided to live in Krakoa, would you still do your in-real-life jobs there? This question brought oh. to you after questioning me if my job as an accountant would have any use there. <laughs> no, no, and I can tell you exactly why. Because the Krakoan market just, I cannot imagine they have a very big need for appliances and small electric motors yeah uh i I don't i've i've been scouring krakoa yet to see an hvac system that's going to throw me out of the market i could and here's the thing i don't i like my job because i'm pretty good at it and i have i have moved myself into a role where i get to do what i'm good at and have fun with it in that intersection of stuff i enjoy if i could just live in paradise no i would not work <laughs> no. you'd be drinking root beer from the root beer tree right uh i would not i hate root beer but that's a different discussion all right all right beer from the it's too sweet tree i don't know uh, i would drink beer from a beer tree <laughs> i i can imagine that there might be a need for some sort of educational uh something there on the island due to the failed yeah, have you seen have you seen their education <laughs> that's what i'm saying standards. like they might need They're some bad. help with that uh so maybe i do that but i agree with, if i could just be in like a hammock and hang out in the green lagoon for most days that sounds pretty great this question adam comes uh from peyton wheelie who asks what does glob taste like oh um Oh, I know. Uh, our good friend uh, Jason Large has made us delicious glob snacks before. 
um, which are gummy, like gummy gummy globs that have candy skeletons inside. So um, glob tastes like glob snacks. Grapefruit. It's grapefruit flavored, <laughs> in case people were wondering. Uh, there is one of the best things that's ever been published on the website Comics XF uh, was on October 30th of 2020. It's called Glob Snacks, A Descent into Madness. And again, if you want to know what the pandemic did to people, <laughs> it was, a, here's the funniest story. Here's the funniest thing about the Glob Snacks. Adam, I don't know if you know this. Uh, so our friend, our friend Jason made a bunch of these Glob Herman snacks and sent them across the country. He also sent a package to Marvel. Yeah. And I am sure it never got to its intended recipient because the people in Marvel have been working remote this whole time. <laughs> so it's very possible that someone's going to come back into the office and there's going to be a package of... Uh, stale gummies. <laughs> at this point, stale and like melted Glob Hermans mm-hmm. uh, sitting in the Marvel mail room. And I hope they're there. Uh, I hope that's the case. All right. A uh, question from Ross. Is Professor Xavier, in fact, a jerk? Yeah. Yes. That's easy. That, one, that, one's, that one's straight up, straight up, simply easy. Yeah. He's a jerk. He's terrible. This one, this one's good here. Uh, if you could draft one character from another company as an X-Men, who would be the most annoyed by that? Oh, okay, so the character themselves is annoyed Would be about annoyed. being yes. an X-Man? It's got to be an Avenger, right? Like somebody that's like... Well, an, an, yeah. I don't know how to tell you this, but but Adam, Adam Marvel Marvel also owns the Avengers. Oh, it says another company. the same company. It's a, yeah, another company. from the same company. Uh, from the same company, you know, my dude. You know, you know. I think Batman would be pretty annoyed by Krakoa. Like, Batman would be pissed if he had to be part of the X Men. The X Men don't really solve mysteries. They like he loves a good mystery. They're all He's bad at it too. They're all around in the daytime all the time. Like, did you no did you capes. have the, the... <laughs> Did you have the experience that I had of watching the Batman movie and yelling at Batman because he was too stupid to get a very basic riddle right? <laughs> I, and then, I'm sure I And did. then the joy that the movie agreed with you that it was very dumb that Batman couldn't solve this riddle. It's okay. It's okay. I, no, I, I died when that happened. I, I have mixed feelings about the Robert Pattinson, the Batman, uh, but the, the part where he says, where, uh, Penguin says, "You idiot! This is the riddle. How dumb are you?" <laughs> yeah. That sold me it was on great, it. Like, because right? sometimes Batman just does dumb stuff. That's right. He's an nincompoop. All right, your turn. Uh, my my answer is another... Hellboy, but Hellboy would be annoyed by just about anything at all times. Like he he would understand. He wouldn't fight it. He'd just be like, "Yeah, crap. Okay, <laughs> come on, let's go punch this. Let's go punch this bone monster." <gasps> oh man. All right. Uh, do we want to do any more? Let's do like one more each. All right. Dan at Soul Reaver Dan asks uh, about a story we think deserves to go higher, a story we think deserves to go lower. We've gotten this question before. Um, we keep thinking of doing a re-ranking episode. We do. We've, we've yet to actually do this. Maybe we do that for well, episode a, 300. <laughs> here's the trick about a re-ranking episode. Be, to make it a full episode, we're going to have to talk about more than three stories, which means we're going to have to do extra work. It's true. It's true. And we just haven't done that. I'll tell you what is what is absolutely too high, and I think this is the biggest indication of how my tastes, and I 
I think Adam, you feel similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what you're how artists say. have changed. Astonishing X Men gifted at number five. Yeah, I think I think that one would would drop because I think you and I value different things out of the comics now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, not that it's terrible, fine. but I, it doesn't belong in the it's top still, ten. It's listen. There's we did a re ranking back in the yonder days Mm. and i argued that that should go higher at the time i believe and adam held me back and he made the right call (laughs) i don't often say i'm wrong adam was 100 percent right to say zach i don't know about this all right any Um, any stories that should go lower i mean higher probably yeah it's we got we got some do you know what's weirdly low and i understand why we did it but what's weirdly low in my mind Mm -hmm. uh mad report nights yeah it just keeps getting pushed down it's at 219, and I don't think that it's wrong, but it's probably, the story's probably better than what we have given it credit for. Yeah. Um, also, Avengers vs. X-Men is wildly high on this list. <laughs> I think we were just, I think I think we were just like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. We're having a fun time here. It's a bad story, but we're enjoying it so much. I My answer is always New Mutant Summer Special is way too low on, uh, on the I, list. If we ever if we ever do a re-ranking podcast episode, two of them have to be the astonishing and have to be summer special. Because I want to was summer special in the first episode it was really early. block we did, really or early. the second? Because it what what we did the first six episodes were recorded over two weekends on like Sunday afternoons. Uh, Adam and I had never spoken before, mm-hmm. uh, and we just did it and. I have a different appreciation for Anacenti. Like, I do feel like those two stories that we did early in the podcast, they would have the biggest impact of how much a ranking has changed. Yeah. Because I think on both of those, we are we are of a different mindset. Absolutely. Um, and I think I, if I had to go for something that could probably go lower, I'd probably pick some... Uh, Peter David stuff that I just don't care for. <laughs> you know, Listen, here, here's the thing about the Peter David stuff. That's been consistent through all of this that we've said, and eh, not, not yeah, the best. It's okay, but I could probably people, knock it down a couple spots, you know? People sometimes ask why I give Peter David the, a hard time. And I think there's a lot of reasons to give Peter David a hard time, but have you read those comics? That's the, uh, that's the bread and butter right there. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, are you, are you sure you've read them recently? Because I get why people liked them, but you should also be able to get why people absolutely don't. <laughs> All right. So if we didn't answer your question, don't be offended. We just only had so much time tonight. We'll try and answer some of these on Twitter. And uh, do we have to promote anything for the website? Uh, go to ComicsXF. Shoot, probably. There's there's good stuff. Always. Uh, over the last week, we did like a lot yeah. of articles. Um, hold on, let me look because I edited some stuff that I thought was really good. I want to. I gotta look at our recents. Uh, we did. We did a really good. Uh, there's an interview with David Pipos about uh, his Savage Avengers, which is fun. We did a uh, bunch of stuff about a bunch of different comics that we really liked. Uh, it's just good stuff. Like here's the thing. I can't. I can't pick out what last week was like really good. But it was a good week. Like there was just a lot of solid comics content, and that's what that's what I like to see. Yeah, absolutely, uh, folks. You can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and Zach. What are we talking about next week? 
Next week, we are going to be talking about Shatterstar and Longshot and Longshot and Shatterstar and uh, a recursive loop of that. Whoa. This is going to be a weird one. I'm excited. Uh, But hey, it'll be fun. And until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!